Sweet Venues Jukebox Theatre in Hove. This is our 40th episode of the Cast Iron Theatre podcast. We're going to be speaking about all things Hove Grown with tonight's guests, Guy Wa and Sarah Johnson. Your business is sort of. We're going to talk about the website later about um, um, helping actors, etc. But uh, a lot of your business is about uh, the public face. Um, So, what do you like to be your first impression? Jesus. Uh, Really? (laughs) Well, that's. uh, I think that job's taken. Yeah, religious moment. I don't know. Like, I have this. I have this weird thing. Well, basically, my my whole ethos is I want to be me, and I want to be comfortable being me. I want other people to be comfortable around me. Yeah. Um, the the problem I have is when I do something like this, and indeed on my own podcast when I started recording them, I adopt the uh, sort of TV personality, and and then I hate myself for it. Um, and then what I had to is I, I slip in a bit of my actual self in it. So what it happens is it sounds like who's someone who's being professional but is pissed off with the world. <laughs> you're mad as hell and you ain't going to take it no more. Yes. Yeah. Right. So, um, yeah, so I think we what happens is... We this it, before. It, either, either people understand that, yeah. that I'm not actually like that oh, or people who don't lovely. know me just think that I'm a complete arsehole. Oh, we wouldn't have worked with you for three years if you were an absolute dweeb. No. When you begin teaching, they say that you go through a period of time where you're sort of you're learning to teach, you're becoming a teacher, and then you go for maybe the first year of actually teaching where you're just pretending to be a teacher. <laughs> you're doing the teach. I'm a teacher now, and then it slowly fades, and you just become whatever the style of teacher that you are. You you become that. Well, that's good. Yeah, you're learning the mechanics yeah. around it, and then you bring your personality into yeah. it slowly. But for a while, yeah. you're definitely faking it till you're making it. And yeah. you're, you're faking it depending on the last amazing teacher that you saw you know like, oh, I can be that teacher I do do some work in schools uh, front facing uh, t- towards uh, pupils and indeed do a lot of uh, youth theatre work and it's probably true that there is when you are teaching you're presenting a version of yourself and occasionally um, you hear the line that, oh teaching it's a lot like acting which always makes me blink slightly and go it's almost not at all like acting but I understand, I understand the analogy that you're, you're presenting a version of yourself um, but it, uh, yeah it links me back to what we were saying before about uh, if there's a version of you that you're bringing to your personality on the podcast or whenever you're speaking in public it's still going to be as we say a version of you I mean yeah. we're going to be speaking to some people who are involved with um, the Hove Growing Festival uh, tonight in some form or another and they may themselves describe themselves in their private lives as quite shy, even neurotic people, but the stage gives you a certain armour? Yeah, I think, I think that's true. I think um, I'm definitely my most confident when I'm on a stage um, playing a character or taking part in a performance, um, uh, or indeed even improvising, but doing something like this, um, having to present a public face, you know, particularly when I'm representing Hove Grown. Yeah. It kind of makes me have to go to a place that I don't really... I would prefer not to put out there. I'd prefer just to laugh and joke and, and make fun of things. But actually, I'm fully aware that if I do that too much, mm. then people aren't going to take my brain seriously. So I'm fully aware that what I do has a reflection on whatever it is I'm presenting. Sure. I'll tell you what I'd prefer is... I'm so sorry to interrupt you. I prefer sitting behind a table using a computer uselessly. That's my little protection. <laughs> 
how I like to be on stage. But it's awesome because you are essentially the Sigourney Weaver <coughs> character. I am. What does that mean? Am I? I don't know. I'm, Galaxy I'm, Quest. I'm gonna... Ah, yes. Oh. She repeats I, everything the computer says. I, I do. That is, I, that's my yeah. job, she I says. We can talk about not just the companion a little bit later. <laughs> it's two levels up from um, Dictionary Corner. Oh, yeah. That's Sarah what I was going to say. I was going to say, is it Susie Dent? Yeah, that, yeah, yeah, that's what I'm getting from here. Like, this is ah, the the pose and everything behind yeah. the computer. Like. In reality, this is just safety. I love it. So you were going to say... <laughs> Sarah Johnson, uh, you don't get as much opportunities to um, perform or be on stage? No. no. Does, that, does that mean that what ever we see on a day-to-day basis, is that you, or would there be that another is... version of yourself if you were on stage? I think... I, like, I would like to think uh, that what you get is me. Um, perhaps on, on occasion slightly more formal me, but uh, mostly me. Yes. Um, uh, I... Yeah, I had some uh, battles in early life uh, that I needed to overcome, and so I shaped myself very strongly. And so uh, one of the things I discovered uh, coming into acting later was that actually letting go of me is really hard. And so I kind of lean more towards the school of... um, uh, the the personality actor rather than the transformative actor, um, because trying to let go of something that I've worked hard and actually worked hard to form is really difficult. Letting that go, it's almost impossible. In your time, <laughs> you have uh, you have LARPed. Yes, yes. And some people may not know what that is. Ah, live action role play, uh, which is loads and loads of fun, and it's a very silly hobby. Uh, and I thoroughly recommend it because uh, anyone who's sitting in the uh, podcast today will have seen my husband enter the room with a resplendent cloak, which has two very fluffy, wolfy shoulders. Uh, and you get to wear clothes like that, and it rocks hard. Although you've explained <laughs> the acronym live action role playing, and even though that term sounds fairly self-explanatory, uh, shall I we, unpack that? We a may more? still not know quite what okay, it is. Okay, so um, if you imagine, so if you imagine what you know about, say. Uh, people sitting down at a table uh, playing a game such as Dungeons and Dragons and they've got paper and books and dice etc uh, and they're, in, when they're doing that they're sitting down, they're creating a world uh, they're creating characters in that world and they're saying what those they're, they're embodying what those characters would do the beauty of live action role play is that you get up and instead of saying to whoever's running the game oh um, games master I, uh, I get up and I cross the room and I talk to the bartender and I order six wains of wood instead of saying that you just get up and you cross the bar and you go and talk to the bartender and order six wains of wood you physically do it rather than just talking about it so you have an environment in which to operate absolutely so that sounds like uh, i can hear gasps of excitement <laughs> yeah. uh, this uh, is going to be your your, your next uh, birthday present yeah. type thing yeah we're going to have to get you involved somehow yeah. yep would it ever get I mean, would that get scary? Is that not... Is, how does that Are there actual safe? goblins? Yeah. On occasion. On occasion. Uh, I've played some t- terribly, terribly awful goblins at points. Because <laughs> <laughs> um, uh, often you have to uh, crew for... like Yeah, anyway, it's complicated. Um, how do I get out of that bit? So, um, <laughs> so yeah, it, depending on the... Depending on the, the world that you're in, the story that's being told... Because... Uh, Role play or live action role play will cover everything, every story possibility really from, um, so all the genres from 
real life to past history to future possibilities, uh, sci-fi to... Um, to like fantasy worlds. Yes, sort of, all of that. Yeah. Um, high magic, low magic, no magic, high tech, low tech, no tech. You know, it just depends on 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 the world that you're in, and then the story, because that might just be the world, and then maybe the story you're telling is a very simple. Uh, we have to get a group of people from one place to another, and it's then what happens, and the characters you meet, and and the choices that that the players make and they're not always the wisest nor the most um happy choices that players make um story lasts about as plot lasts about as long as the contact with the players <laughs> because that might be something that um outsiders and uh, to a very large degree i guess i would include myself in this having never uh played that sort of game that it's it's a story that is king um, yes, and it's so, collaborative storytelling. Because most of us, um, as I say, most of us who haven't played may have that image of people simply around a board game and a games master saying this is what happens next. But that's, yeah. That doesn't really give any value to the idea that you're inhabiting a story that's constantly developing. It's interesting. I think live-action roleplay is actually the ultimate improv. Um, for example, some of the big games that uh, I might go to that are uh, over a weekend, uh, you might uh, the game might begin at, say, about 6 p.m., on the Friday night, and you'll go through till about maybe 1am, uh, and then in theory you get some time to go and either socialise or sleep, if you're older, and, um, and then the next day you'll start again at 10, and the world is live and active until again, say 1am, and then the next day it's slightly shorter because it's usually a Sunday and you've got to pack up and go home, which is always sad, but you know, you still want a bit of gameplay. Um, and for all of that time, all of the time that the game world is live, you are in character. So you, you know, you can drop out of character every so often, but it's it's politer to stay in character. Mm. So you find yourself having to negotiate things, uh, real life things, in character. My character suddenly needs. I've got. To, I'm dying for a drink. I've got to go to the bar. It's got nothing to do with the story, but you've still got to go do it. Mm. Um, or I need to go have dinner now. Um, I, I remember being in one fantasy game. I was in a very tight tense political thing uh, and someone just slipped in and said um, uh, I'm terribly sorry Lady Eva has to eat this now otherwise General Corrupin will get very cross <laughs> <laughs> and uh, I'm known for getting distracted and not eating so, so one of the other players had brought me food and then commanded that I eat it <laughs> I was like okay I'm going to eat the food I'm sorry. This, is what, <laughs> this is what didn't happen with the Brexit negotiations uh, is yeah it? no absolutely yeah. so and we talk about improv and we talk about um role-playing being like the ultimate storytelling and bringing new stories which does bring us in a somewhat tenuous but you know neat way back to home grown which is all about new stories all about new writing and it's now it's third year yes yes we made it to three years high yeah. five. Woo! <laughs> awesome well that's important isn't it because it is. you, know, you uh both uh sarah johnson and guy why you were both uh our first guest on the podcast uh, no, almost was... a year ago yeah um, and so that was um, in my lounge room happy anniversary <laughs> yes and um, you were there this is that obviously then was for the second year and you reiterated the point that you were uh, committed to three years come what may and you, uh, you indeed have made it to three years yeah. how's it been? yeah it's been good I mean we've um, what's been most pleasing is that we've 
maintained a certain level. Um, the number of shows has stayed around the same, the number of performances has stayed around the same, uh, the ticket sales has stayed around the same as well. So what that's told us is that there is a demand from performers and a demand from the public um, for, for what we're doing. Um, so it's been really reassuring that that's, that's carried on that way because if it had it gone up or down significantly, then we'd have been wondering what the conditions were behind that. But um, I think, yeah, I think we can be really pleased with the first three years. How interesting or difficult is it to pitch a new writing festival because um, the whole concept of new writing can sometimes be uh, a bit scary for potential audience members, particularly if they are not writers, producers, directors themselves. If you are, for want of a better um, term, a civilian to somebody who wants a good night out, new writing can be, uh, yeah, they say, a somewhat terrifying concept. It, have, you, have you found that in conversations with people? Um, I think, it, I mean, you'd have to ask the audiences, I think. Uh, we, with the, the numbers have stayed the same. As I say, we've had a 1,000 people uh, attend f- roughly 60 shows each year. So, I uh, can't do the maths now, but it worked out a, 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 above the average attendance for a fringe festival. Yeah. Um, so, people are clearly willing to come out. And also, in March, in not the, not the warmest month in the year as well. <laughs> so, you know, people do clearly want this. Um, I think we're quite fortunate here in Brighton and that we live in the Brighton bubble and we've got a lot of creatives here. We've got a lot of actors, writers, musicians, uh, every discipline, every genre. Um, there is some, there is, there's cross genre and cross discipline support. Yeah. Um, whether we tried this anywhere else and it would work, I don't know. But the beauty of it is that we are celebrating Brighton Hove. That is exactly the point of the festival is to yeah. showcase what Brighton Hove has to offer. And I, uh, sorry, just to kind of also put in a, a separate point is that I tend to emphasize uh, the the act of the people you know the people are getting this opportunity this is really exciting so I try and I try and give it a really human side to it so these people are you know they've had an, either had an idea for ages but never never really gotten around to putting it on or they've had a script on the shelf or the or, or just something they've always wanted to do and out the whole point of Hove Grown is to give them the space give them the opportunity give them the nudge the kick the whatever is needed to actually get that up on stage and isn't that exciting and isn't that you know so to kind of come at it from a very human point of view so it's not about the oh is the work going to be successful or not it's about no no these people we should support them you know in the same way that you might want to be supported at some point in doing things like so it's a genuine platform for uh, up-and-coming uh, creatives. I believe so, uh, yes. Because uh, uh, festivals, in, in, certainly in England and uh, parts of Europe, they're, they're, they are pay-to-play. You are not being paid to be in a festival. You are paying to be in a festival. And obviously Brighton and Edinburgh are the two obvious ones, which can become ruinously expensive, whereas yes. this is not ruinously expensive. Well, yeah, we, I mean, we hope so. We, we, the registration fee to take part for performers is £27. Um, if you put on multiple shows, you get a, a discount depending on the number of the shows that you put on. Um, the the other costs are kept as low as we can we can physically keep them. Um, so the idea is that there isn't that barrier. There isn't you're not talking hundreds of pounds before you've even got into the venue. Yeah. Um, that obviously is a cost, um, and that goes purely towards marketing the festival. Mm-hmm. So yeah, we're proud that we've created something which is affordable, but also we've tried to make it affordable for the audiences as well. Yeah. Yeah. So the majority of shows are, are, are placed between five and eight pounds. Mm-hmm. Uh, most of them have concessions available as well. Um, for Sarah can probably tell you the concession categories better than I can. Youth, um, students, uh, unemployed, unwaged, or on benefits, 
um, forces, NHS, um, uh, and a f- equity. Is it equity, um, but also um, we support uh, anyone uh, with access needs or a carer to by providing a, a tickets for carers, mm. etc. So. Yeah. And we try and make that as accessible as possible. Yeah, so um, this year, the, the well, all of our shows bar one are under are £10 or under. And you were talking about categories yeah. when you were talking about um, concessions. Uh, sorry, you were talking earlier about categories themselves in terms of uh, cross-discipline. So uh, there's poetry, there's spoken word. What, what else goes on for the festival? So the, it covers really the gamut of everything. Uh, Theatre in all of its forms, from comedy to tragedy. Uh, comedy itself in all of its forms, from stand-up to sketch to improv. Uh, spoken word, again, in many of its different forms. Cabaret and variety and kids and youth. We try and cover as much of it as possible. Um, we were hoping to have some film entries this year that didn't happen it really it, much like fringe uh shows uh when you're booking as a venue for a fr- for fringe you never know what's going to come through your door uh, and so um yeah it, it's it's quite the gamut but uh yeah, we had some we're open to pretty much every, anything yeah we had some interest from dance companies as well but unfortunately none of our theatres had a big enough stage to <laughs> for what they need to do so um that's something which which you know i'd hope would come in the future um either in the form of going to bigger venues or it shows that are able to be performed on smaller stages well you you alluded to this now so i'll speak about you you've got four venues this year two of them are new for 2018 let's chat about uh, the venues that we've got as part of herb grown three of them are new actually for for this year yes um sweet venues of course run the jukebox but they also this year have the duke of wellington which is a 20-seater Yep. Capacity, um, yep. Above up the, at Gloucester Road. Yeah, up at Gloucester Road. The Rialto have come on board this year, uh, 90-seater theatre in central Brighton, just by the clock tower, which is great. And we've also got the Maydays, who are the local improv group. Uh, they One of. One of, yes, sorry. <laughs> <laughs> I, think we can, I think we can agree they are the most um, established and illustrious of, um, yeah. I mean, other um, improv groups. Not so far from where I'm standing now. <laughs> <laughs> may want to sort of... Um, put their oar in about that but let, let, yeah, th- th- they're yeah. certainly making more money than us so I think mean, you know they can... well, that crowbars me nicely to the point I was making um, which was that the, the Maydays are the most established group and they've now established their own studio yeah. so uh, we're also... treating that as the improv venue for this yeah. year so most yeah. of the improv shows if not all of them are taking place at the Mayday studio so let's talk about uh, how many shows there are at the Hove Grown Festival this year 33 shows a total of 58 performances of those shows so many shows are... D- we encourage two nights uh, as a sort of standard. Why is that? Because with new writing, with one show, there are so many variables. You, know, the audience, you might not get an audience. You might get an audience that doesn't get it. You might have a bad performance in front of an audience that doesn't get it. You might have a bad performance in front of an audience that does get it. Yeah. So at least by having two nights, you get a, a second chance at that. Also, we found in the first year we didn't put a limit on the number of shows. And we still actually don't put a limit. We, we just recommend no more than two. Although we have got a couple with three and four this year. Mm. But in the first year, we found that shows, a lot of people put up, decided to book a number of shows and then ended up cancelling them because they weren't getting the numbers booking. Or indeed, they, they ran them and not many people turned up. So it, was, it wasn't really wise for either the venues or the performers to run those so shows. So concentrating their audiences yeah. in, a, in a way that was useful for venue and, and company. And the festival itself is, is, is concentrated. It's 10 days. Yeah. yeah. And, uh, I, I, I Short guess, and sharp. 
bats because largely it does serve as an appetizer. Although it's some time before, it does for some of us um, serve as an appetizer for that other festival that's looming over the horizon. <laughs> and sometimes the uh, there are early versions or at least preview shows of um, bright and fringe shows that will appear as, as part of how I've grown. Yes, and audiences can access them in a way that they might not be able to in Brighton in May because there's too much other stuff going on. Yeah, um, one of the things uh, that we did when we looked at Hove Grown was want to be part of the ecosystem and be part of what can be used in Brighton and Hove to make work that is sustainable, that is uh, developmental, uh, and that actually takes, rather than just one-offs here and there and everywhere, actually, what are you doing? What are you bringing to whichever festivals? <clears throat> what could we do to to provide an opportunity that was going to make that easier? Uh, and so we've had a number of shows, uh, in fact, over the last three years, and including this year, that are using Hove Grown as a springboard to go from Hove Grown to Brighton Fringe and potentially onto Edinburgh. Uh, and it's a really nice... One of my things is I feel that people forget, even now, that Brighton Fringe is the world's third largest fringe festival. And whilst it's just Brighton Fringe and it's on our doorstep and it's, you know, it's, it's my old local festival, it's lovely, it is all of those things. And, and yes, fresh work should be able to come to it. But at the same time, if we are working as professionals and if we are trying to develop ourselves, our work, our companies, then we really need to be looking at what are we doing? How can we bring um, a new but not necessarily raw piece of work to this thing that is going to have um, art, uh, arts industry professionals coming to see our work, mm-hmm. you know, either invited or just on spec? What can we do to give ourselves the best opportunities to present our best faces for the work that we're doing and thus give ourselves the best opportunity to leap forward and to, to go on to other things. When we come back, we'll be speaking to Guy and Sarah about shows that are in the festival, advice for new creatives and news about a brand new updated website when we return. for downloading this episode of the Cast Iron Theatre Podcast. It's our 40th episode and we're really proud to have gotten this far. You can help us keep making this show and there are lots of ways to do it. Firstly, please do subscribe, rate and review this very episode. In fact, rate and review every episode. It helps people to find us and follow us on all the social media get in contact, say hello, tell us what you like, tell us what you want to hear more of. We are here for you. Do get involved. Another way that you can help is by becoming a patron. So by signing up to donate $5 or more a month, you receive some amazing benefits and you also help to get us the equipment that we need and develop the show to be even better than it already is. It's hard to believe that is even possible, but you know, every little helps. So sign up to become a patron at patreon.com forward slash sitpod. That's patreon.com forward slash C-I-T-P-O-D. Lastly, you can be involved in Cast Iron and help fund the work that we do by joining the Cast Iron Foundry. 
So for a yearly charge of £36, you will receive two complimentary tickets to any Cast Iron Theatre production of your choosing, which might include coming along to one of the next live episodes of the Cast Iron Theatre podcast. You also get a free ticket to a Cast Iron Theatre acting, writing or directing workshop. And you get an invitation to mingle with other Foundry members at the Cast Iron Foundry party later this year. But that's not all. You'll also receive a snazzy Cast Iron Foundry membership card, which is like a loyalty card, and you collect stamps for every show that you see. A completed card will entitle you to one free ticket to a Cast Iron show of your choosing. Email us for more information or a membership form at cast underscore iron at outlook.com. Welcome back. You're doing a podcast where you're speaking to local actors, local creators. Um, How's that going? Uh, Really well. Um, Specifically, I'm talking to people who are able to assist actors with getting paid for their work. So literally to explain how the hell they make a living out of this sort of yeah, thing. Effectively, yeah, effectively. Awesome. Or people who can pay them. Yeah. So the first one that I did was an interview with David Middleton, who is the co owner of Barilder Box, which is an escape room in Brighton. And he was Again, just to interrupt, because um, escape rooms, although they've been going for about five, six years now, um, I'm old. Uh, I may not necessarily know what an escape room is. Um, an escape room is a game that, in its original format, you were literally locked in a room and you had to solve a series of clues which would eventually lead to you getting released. It's like a, 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 an alternative version of the Crystal Maze. Mixed with Saw. Sorry? <laughs> yes. Crystal Maze mixed with Saw. Some of them very much so. Yeah. Um, Again, depending on genre, I guess. Yes. Yeah. The games have evolved um, and a lot of them now don't involve having to escape but they are still an hour long and they are still involving a number of challenges that you have to solve um, with usually to get to the plot point at the end yes so the world box has a a plot involving a missing quantum scientist and his research and your quest is to find out what happened to him that's not a spoiler because it's all revealed to you sure. when you enter the um the way you do that is by completing various puzzles and challenges within the room, and you have a time limit to do it. You can get help from a supercomputer in the space. Friendly AI. Yes. Uh, the data analysing visual entity, who is preferred to be known as Dave. <laughs> <laughs> I was literally trying to work out the acronym before you revealed it. Yeah. Um, does that mean that you get sort of um, irritating sci-fi geeks getting to ask the question, what are you doing, Dave? <laughs> yes, you do. You Frequently. do. I should point out as well, I am one of the existing hosts as well, so I know the game quite literally inside and out. <laughs> um, which is, and it's great fun. It's a great fun, it's a fun job to have because as the game host, you are presenting the story at the start and you wrap the story up at the end and you assist the team throughout their game. So you were speaking essentially to your boss on I the was. first episode of the podcast. <laughs> uh, which is possibly why it's a little bit stilted. Okay. <laughs> Well, it's not often that one can use uh, the podcast as their <laughs> yearly appraisal. <laughs> uh, how did it go? Yeah, no, I'm really happy with it. Yeah. I mean, the, the, uh, 
yeah, joking aside, it was slightly stilted, but the objective was to get the information out there. And um, you, uh, so just to clarify, you, you, you speak to uh, local creatives who are able to make, or not necessarily local, but certainly creatives who are able to explain, uh, hopefully, how they make their living from yes. acting, or acting-related uh, work. Yeah, so the first one I say was the interview with David Middleton, who gave us details of that opportunity and told us what he was looking for as well. So it's a nice little insider bit of information if you are thinking of applying for that job. The second one was an interview with Christoph Phillips, who's an actor who's now based in Worthing, but was based in Brighton. And I've known him for four years, and over that time he's become entirely uh, reliant on acting work to, to mm-hmm. make his living. But he's done it in a way that, you know, you, wouldn't, you won't see him on BBC necessarily, you won't see him in the West End. He's made his living from doing things he enjoys, like uh, corporate work mm-hmm. and voiceovers and various other things that he's put time and energy into, and he's explained in that podcast exactly how he's gone about that. There's perhaps an important distinction to be made here in that you are not necessarily speaking to people who we would term as professional actors, which uh, might be a somewhat... um, non-involving term that even those of us who are aspiring actors go I don't know how to get that because I don't know the right people I don't get the right auditions but people who literally make their careers from acting which sounds like I'm piddling over semantics but it is an important distinction mm. I mean I would say anyone who's making their living out of acting is a professional actor yep me too. and I think that's that's where certainly where Christoph's at and touch wood that appears to be where I'm at at the moment mm. so I'm very much interested in how others make their living also outside of the acting world because there are companies that will recruit actors who can do jobs that use skills that we have as actors particularly for looking for outgoing actors um, or people who are good storytellers so they're the sort of people I want to get onto the podcast to talk to to give that bit of information to, to let actors have the opportunity to go and use their acting skills somewhere else. It's probably uh, not in my best interest to um, tell people where they can go to be a guest on your podcast rather than our podcast, but where can people go if they want to be a guest <laughs> on your podcast? Well, I think, I, think, I think they are two very distinct podcasts, and I have, I have to say, I think that you know, everything I've always done has been collaborative, and I've never, you know, I never, I never looked to set this up. In fact... Uh, those of you who, who were subscribed to the original Brighton Actors newsletter, well, I've been talking about writing setting up a podcast yeah. for a couple of years, and then you guys set up and did it and did it really well. Cool. And I immediately thought, well, there's no point in me trying to compete uh-huh. with that. <laughs> then I sort of this idea for this different slant came into my head. So that what I'm doing, I think, is very different to to the yeah. Cast Iron podcast. I think they feed into each other as well, and I think yeah. there's room for everything. You know, I love I love this kind of podcast. I might I love American politics at the moment. Well, I don't love American politics. Let me just say <laughs> that. I love podcasts about American politics. At the moment. There is a lot of material. Yeah, there's a lot going on. So I kind of you know, if you like, if that's your genre, you're not going to go. Well, I only listen to the one no. podcast about that. Absolutely. You're going to listen to them all, aren't you? And there is a um, rich community of uh, creatives in Brighton. Yeah. They're not rich. <laughs> They're not rich because the point of the... Well, not the point of the podcast, but one of the things about the podcast <coughs> is it's going to be hidden behind a Patreon paywall. Mm. So the Brighton Actors website has been free since I, since I ran it for anybody to use and will remain to be free because I'm passionate about people being able to you know, you access the arts regardless of their level of income. Mm. What I'm asking for with the Patreon is... A very small payment. I mean, it can it can literally be a pound a month mm. to gain, and and for that, 
the only reason the podcasts are on there rather than public is so that I can give the people who are actually making that donation a little something back. Yeah. I will openly admit that I have taken my patron inspiration from a comedian who I'm a big fan of called Ian Boldsworth, who used to be known as Ray Peacock, stand-up comedian who was in Peacock and Gamble. And um, I subscribed to his patron, uh, I think just before Christmas, and he, he launched it, and it's the first patron I've subscribed to that mm. has had a level of interactivity. And the amount of value he provides to his followers is just amazing. Yeah. You know, Indeed, he, he actually did a, a podcast on podcasting, yeah. which helped me brush up some of my editing skills and things like that. So I am very keen to make sure there is a level of quality coming out that mm. only the subscribers will receive while also making sure that that money is used to host the website which is accessible to everybody yeah. let's talk about that website because um, what is for those of us who may not know about it yet what is uh, Brighton Actors brightonactors.co.uk is a one stop shop whereby it's not even a shop it's a one stop website yeah. where mm-hmm. anyone can go along and find the resources they need as an actor or theatre producer. So if you need to find a rehearsal space, we've got them listed on there. If you need a headshot photographer, we've got them listed on there. If you want a drama school, if you want to find out about Ironclad Improv or 7 o'clock every Sunday night, that's Thank also you. listed on the, um, <laughs> on the website. As I say, collaborative. Uh, yeah. Indeed. And other improv groups are available. Uh, <laughs> yeah, and oh, um, so... Pretty much everything you need as an actor or producer is on the brightonactors.co.uk website. What I want to do next is turn it into sussexactors.co.uk and um, go out further into the towns around the city, which was originally what it was planned for. Um, I've just not had the time or the money to thoroughly research those things yet, and I was aware that the Brighton name was putting off some people from outside uh, of the area. So the Brighton Actors website will or the domain will exist, it will forward to the Sussex Act. Yeah. We've allowed ourselves to get a bit segued from our opening point, which is that there are 33 shows in 10 days on the Brighton and Hove Grown. Because that's actually, it's sort of almost informal name, isn't it? Brighton and Hove Grown rather than yes. just Hove Grown. Yeah. Uh, just to allow for the fact that some of the, um, certainly... How it, do you do brackets in speech, in audio? Well, you just sort of give it a slight inflection. You go, Brighton and Hove. So, so no, Brighton and yeah. Hove Grown. Yeah, indeed. There's, a, there's, a, there's an inflection. Yeah, I mean, I, I'm, I, Guy, am not a voice actor, <laughs> as may have been demonstrated several times throughout this hour, um, and I don't Aww. make any money from voice acting, as a game might have been demonstrated quite painfully throughout this hour. But, uh, yeah, I, I, would, I would suggest that if you wanted to suggest that there are such things as brackets... Inside a sentence, then you. you in, well, well, you've got the one with the college education, clearly. Um, <laughs> we've allowed ourselves to get segued for a second time <laughs> about the 33 shows. That and are people in, call me a pedant. Uh, yeah. Pedant. It's, it's pronounced pedant. Uh, now. Um, you do know what patronising is, though, don't you? When people talk down to you? Thank you. So, <laughs> we've allowed ourselves to get distracted. <laughs> Three or four times. lucky. Tell me, um, Sarah Johnson, tell me about uh, a show that has caught your eye in the upcoming Hove Grown Festival. Well, one of the things is that as a venue manager, I don't... I feel slightly awkward about singling out any one particular thing. However, what is catching my eye is that there's a really lovely balance between people whose faces I recognise who are bringing new work, but... In my mind, they are established, or at least established in the Brighton area. Mm -hmm. And then there are people who um, have either not done a solo show before or not done 
uh, a piece of their own work before or what have you. And there's lots of those people as well. And it feels like that actually uh, we're getting quite the gamut of people using it in quite the way that I was hoping. Yeah. Um, and seeing it as that opportunity to try out this sideline or try out this new thing or actually, no, use it as this really solid place to, to just bring the work and put it in front of an audience because it's got to go in front of someone the first time mm. at some point. So do it in a in a friendly, supportive environment. And, and I'm really pleased to say that that seems to be happening. As a venue manager, perversely, you may be the one that is least likely to see all shows. Yeah, 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 absolutely. Um, uh, depending on where I'm based, whether on one day I'm based here or mm. one day I'm based at the Welly, because uh, Mill and, and our various other front of house staff will... Um, you know, be taking our turns um, to to make sure that everything's looked after well. It means that there's less time to get and see things. And if things are not here or there, I've got no chance. <laughs> so as a venue manager for Hove Grown and also the festivals, the Brighton Festival and the Edinburgh Festival up, um, up in oh, yeah. Well, you know, Edinburgh, yeah, yeah. Um, <laughs> that's an occupational hazard that you don't get to see all shows. Um, yep. Now that those shows have already happened, you know, in previous years, uh, do you have any memories of shows that you were definitely, definitely going to see and tragically you never did and now because they are now in history, you never will? Oh, oh, that's a very good, that's a very good question. I hope so. Um, uh, so people whose work... Actually, yeah, there's, there's um, a, a London-based performer, Jojo Bellini, uh, who is uh, often or often has been based uh, away from uh, where the where we are at the grass market, uh, and her shows are just on at a time that I'm never going to get to, um, and yeah, uh, she had um, Crash Bang Crash Bang Cabaret was her show from last year, which was actually a bit of a life story about um, a, a, a transformative car crash that she went through. What well, she mm. She had a car crash and it transformed her life mm. in, in a positive way. Uh, but her cabaret show of that, I would have loved to have seen. Yeah. Um, but, yeah, there's a whole a whole raft of things that uh, I would just love to get to see that I never do. Um, but very, very quickly, I guess if I had to say... Um, there's a really nice piece uh, that's going to be on. It's, it's, in fact, yeah, it's very 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 hove grown um it's a piece called highway love and it was um we met uh a mother and her her young daughter um who just popped into the theater and just one day and just said well we think you're putting a thing on can we maybe do can we maybe do something with you and i was like well yeah of course this is a half hour 45 minute play written by 10 year olds performed by 10 year olds um and it is just so sweet and charming and um, uh, so well-performed mm. and so disciplined for that age. Yeah. Uh, it's called Highway Love, and it's on Saturday the 24th of March at half past two here at the Jukebox. Uh, and, uh, yeah, if there's not a more perfect microcosm of, oh, my God, where can you start and get your first bite, taste yeah. what theatre could be like in a real theatre, mm. you know, that's not overwhelming and it's not, like, Theatre Royal, which is like so cavernous yeah. and, and wonderful, but you know, for your show, first show at 10 is probably a little overwhelming. <laughs> yeah. No, I understand. Um, yeah, no, I'm, I'm really looking forward to that. When 10 um, year olds are producing work that is 
sweepy moving and focused I feel both old and really unproductive <laughs> yeah because you never do anything you're not writing anything and certainly you're not putting on anything in this particular festival well we'll do guy why uh, I'd like to flip back to the question that we didn't expect to ask uh, and just repeat it back to you because uh, you I'm a, as far as I'm aware you've not been a venue man- manager but you certainly curate this festival and you're mm-hmm. you know you're, you're involved in this world has there ever been like do you remember shows that you were definitely going to see that you oh. actually missed out on? Well, last year I didn't get too much at all. I can't think of anything specific, but the, there were quite a few shows that I just I, I didn't get to because I ended up tragically working through most of the yeah. festival. Mm. Um, one that's coming back this year, actually, is Fit for Work, which... Mm. Was, which is one of your own? No, no, it's not, no, it's not one of mine. Not. No, no, this is um, it's by Andrew Woodward, and it's about a guy who goes to the benefits office um, with a mental health problem, and the the difficulties that he faces in that situation and um, I heard a lot of good things about it last year and he's putting it on again this year so I'm hoping to get to it this year but um, yeah I was a bit annoyed that I missed out on that one last year because that was something with mental health uh, and particularly the behaviour of the job centre is something that is quite close to my heart um, and uh, again, it, it, it's a difficult question as one of the curators of Homegrown, but, and indeed you were both, um, Sarah and Guy, you were selecting the um, productions for the festival. But, uh, were there any um, shows that leapt out at you that you might want to give a shout out to that might not always get the audience they deserve? Well, the first one that jumped out at me was a show called Finding Yourself Offside. Um, it's written by Tristan Wolfe, yeah. who's a regular cast line, I believe, yeah. as well. That's great. Yeah. Um, and I believe it's his first piece of writing. It is. Uh, and it jumps out at me because I'm a huge football fan and the, the issues around homophobia in football are something which, you know, I have ashamedly been, been a part of in the past. You know, mm. I grew up on the terraces with friends in a in a very right wing environment actually mm-hmm. and um I've been around that environment and and it's it's now coming out more and more uh, excuse the pun that it's how difficult it is for footballers to come out and you mm-hmm. think the amount of footballers there are in the UK yeah you, there's no way that every single one of those is heterosexual yeah. um and it's so I'm really interested to see what Tristan does with this um and where he takes it and and what issues come out of it because it's um it's something which is you know i i love football and i think it has developed and it's definitely become more progressive but it's something which really needs addressing uh, and anything that can start addressing those issues is is good with me it's interesting to hear you say uh, that you grew up or, or you, you had your formative years on the terraces in necessarily a right wing environment is that uh, an atmosphere that you escape from by luck or design? A bit of both. Um, I was never really comfortable in it. Um, so, for instance, you know, I was one of the people who would use the term gay in a sort of casual meaning to, to mean that that's not a very good thing. Um, and I, there's a part of me that always knew that I wasn't right. Uh, but it was, again, part of that peer pressure and that mentality and the lad mentality. I yeah. Think, didn't have many female friends when I was younger at all and so that was something that was very prevalent and I was part of and kind of a lot of my life at that point was going along with it for the sake of it as I got more as I got older I kind of started to get the strength to leave that behind and stop using language like that and make a conscious effort to to be more compassionate and to to not be the be the arsehole really yeah in any form um 
And then I moved to Brighton. And, but my whole life completely changed for a number of reasons. One, the people that I was hanging around. Mm. But two, there's this mentality in Brighton. Um, when I grew up, every time I wanted to do something, the question was always, why? 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 And then I, I moved into a house with three people I didn't know at all in Brighton. And all of a sudden, whenever I said I wanted to do something, the, the, answer, the, the response was, why not? Why not? Mm. Why not? And I didn't realise it at the time. I only realised this about five years ago, and I've been here ten years now, mm. that that was the change. Yes. That was the, hang on a minute, people aren't putting blocks in. People are allowing me to be me and allowing me to, to express myself in ways that I'd never been able to before. Well, we might get the opportunity to talk about the, uh, the atmosphere of yes and a little bit later in our third act. Yeah, very um, much, very uh, much yes and. So, I have one last question for you guys that I've deliberately not prepared you for um, <laughs> before we get to the end of our second act, and um, this is this. Because Hove Grown Festival is about uh, new work, uh, possibly creatives who are quite young in their career if not in their bodies and souls um, <laughs> if they are sort of bringing new work to the festival what advice would you give somebody creating their first piece of work if they're bringing it to Hove Grown I would say first of all attend one of the free workshops that we run smoothly done yeah um, <laughs> because we go through pretty much everything that we can think of in two hours uh, to prepare people for that uh, including the the whole registration form and the reasons why we ask the questions that we ask the, I think the key is, is to be clear on why you're bringing it and, and try to have an idea of what you want to get out of it. Are you just putting it on the stage so you can see it or are you wanting to market it and fill the audience, fill the theatre with audience and get a, you know, a, a full audience reaction or are you just doing it because you've written a play and you want to put it on and see what that feels and looks like. Um, none of those are right or wrong answers. Everyone has their own, has their own reasons for doing that. So just to expand on that point, because uh, that's a, a beautifully uh, hove-grown-centric answer, um, do either of you have any sort of uh, words of advice or wisdom or panic for somebody who is right now uh, thinking that they might apply for next year's hove-grown and are staring at a blank sheet of paper or monitor well there there is the 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 famous just just damn well do it um which is quite which is the way hogrown really began yeah um and it's get something on paper get an idea out record it uh, you know use a use a dictaphone whatever you need draw it write it smear it on paint uh, whatever whatever (laughs) whatever you need to do just get that idea out and then start working on it and know that by giving yourself a deadline you're you're giving yourself permission to do this thing because it will sit on your shelf it will sit in your brain it will it will niggle at you it will just keep going on and on and putting on a show by yourself trying to promote it that just shouting it out on on our Saturday, our Friday, our Thursday, mm. is really difficult. But actually, if you've got if you're part of a festival, then there's a brochure with a whole lot of other things, and people will stumble over your piece. And if it's their kind of piece, you, they'll get to see it. You get to fly out with other people. You know, we'll certainly be out on the streets on a couple of weekends, handing out brochures, publicising all the work, giving opportunity for people to see it. 
you know, jump on the bandwagon. You know, we're a bunch of people who are all creating work, new work. So this, those particular shows are done for the very first time. Jump on that bandwagon. I'm, I'm a big fan of just putting a deadline on something and doing it. And if that's, that's how I've done, that's how I've produced every single show I've ever produced is just by putting the date in the diary and then going, Oh crap! <laughs> and indeed, my show last year, um, I was I was still writing it up until I think it was it really was midnight the night before yep. the night before of the show because I was working all day the following day. So I was still. But just was, to clarify, that's not your advice to new writers. <laughs> no, it no, is, it's not my advice. But you know what I do, what I've done is I, is I collated all the ideas or I, I put all the um, in inverted commas jokes because that's what I discovered from my show last year um, <laughs> into a list and into a document and what I was doing at the last minute was just structuring that out smoothing it out and indeed presenting it and now I did cop out a little bit and I presented it with work in progress in brackets last year, which allowed me the fr- a little bit of flexibility. I'd rather not have done it, if I'm honest, but I did go on stage with the script on a music stand next to me, mm. so it was there should I want to turn to it. And I think I pretty much got away with yeah. it. Um, and that's the beauty of the Hive Grown, is that you have a more sympathetic crowd. Mm. So um, I was able to do that, and then I developed it and took on a full show to Brighton Fringe a couple of months later. Mm. But yeah, just putting that putting that date in the diary and then you will find a way of making it happen certainly one of our favourite things about Cast Iron when we produce a new work throughout the year we occasionally get emails from people after the event that uh, what move us to tears really about mm. talking about the fact that they've been meaning to write something for 10 years and that now gave them the opportunity to get that thing on the stage yeah. yep. which otherwise they may not have done Yep, yep, yep. When we come back, we will be speaking to actual participants of the Whole Grown Festival pitching their show. Are they terrified? They may well be. Join us after the break. There's lots of things coming up for Cast Iron Theatre in March and April. Now, of course, we have our own little contribution to the Brighton and Hove Grown Festival. Two nights doing what we do best, mixing local actors and directors to produce an evening of short plays. We put on short play nights throughout the year, and every now and again, we like to focus on one writer. As we enter our fifth year, we've decided it's about time we put on a night of plays written by Mr Andrew Allen himself. So come along on the 23rd or the 24th of March and book your ticket early as we often sell out. On April the 2nd, we'll be presenting a cracking new show to celebrate Easter. It's called Castine Easter Eggs. And just like our hugely popular Christmas selection box night... It's a night of theatre karaoke with a twist. A basket of Easter-themed short plays will be ready to be performed, but there's a catch. The performers sign up on the night from the very audience themselves and they read their scripts for the first time live on stage. It's a celebration of new writing, comedy and cold reading. It promises to be very funny, wonderfully chaotic and just, well, an Easter egg extravaganza. We've just hatched, no, no, can't do any more Easter egg puns. We have just launched 
our new writing submission window for the short plays that we need to be added to the basket on the night. So if you've got a great short Easter themed play that is age and gender blind and it's a two-hander, email it to us. We're looking for plays that are between four to eight minutes long. Email it to cast underscore iron at outlook.com. On the 4th of April, we'll return with our next Cast Iron Theatre podcast live night, so book your tickets early for that. Oh, and of course, we are debuting my new play, Dead Cat Bounce, on the 6th and the 7th of April, which features Chelsea, Newton Mountney and Yvette May. Do come along to see this play about an unwitting, poverty-stricken superhero, Lucy Lord, tackling life as she attempts to fight crime on the mean streets of Brighton. All these events will be held at the Sweet Duke Box, which is just inside the Southern Bell Pub on Waterloo Street. And you can find more details, including ticket links, at our website, which is castironbrighton.weebly.com or at sweetvenues.com. Welcome back. I was delighted by how generally unprepared some of you were for that applause, particularly those of you who had alcohol in your hand. Oh, hang on. I'm on it, I'm on it. Now, uh, we have on the stage uh, Julia Knight and Patrick Bland. How are you both? Fine. Hello. Good. So uh, we're, we're going to speak about two shows. We'll get two for the price of one, really. Um, so, uh, Patrick, if you don't mind, I'm going to largely ignore you for about a couple of That's minutes. That's absolutely fine. But do yeah. feel free to sort of uh, join in um, whenever you like. Um, so, Julia, uh, you are involved in two shows, but one of them is uh, a one-person show. It is my first solo show. Your first solo show. How are you feeling about that? <laughs> well, I swing between being entirely petrified and thinking, wow, it's going to be fantastic. Yes. And um, <laughs> it's um, to do with a person that we may be familiar with. Yes. It's called I Am Not Victoria Wood. <laughs> Who's it about? <laughs> well, actually, it's, not, it's about a character called Maddie North who is not Victoria Wood either, and uh, about her life and experiences being uh, performing as a Victoria Wood tribute act. And so you talked earlier on about people being versions of themselves, and so there's quite a lot of those ideas weaved in amongst her, doing quite a lot of silly things, singing silly songs, doing bits of sketches, dressing up in lots of silly costumes. So although you're at pains to say that uh, neither you or the character you play are Victoria Wood, yeah. it seems fairly safe to say that people who uh, love uh, Victoria Wood and still love Victoria Wood would enjoy the show. Yes, I think so. And I, I've, I have actually already said to people, when they, because people have said to me, do I need to know a lot of Victoria Wood's uh, stuff? I might not have seen some for years. And I think the answer is you don't need to have seen any, but if you are a fan and you remember a lot of her work, then you will enjoy, undoubtedly enjoy it, I think. Well, hopefully you enjoy <laughs> the remembering, the remembrance of it. When did you first discover Victoria Wood? Do you remember? Oh, I, what I actually remember is me and my sister learning the uh the ones particularly from that tv special the audience an audience with yes. 
and we used to just use the lines because we'd practice doing it but then when we were out somewhere or if somebody said they were going to get their hair done yeah. we would say oh well just have it up, um, up and over and back round the sides very free and easy but quite structured <laughs> <laughs> and that would be what our way of talking about people's hair and then we'd have other phrases for other for whenever other you things. saw a nice pair of shoes you go oh they look comfortable they look nice <laughs> <laughs> I wanted them without the heels, yeah. Yes. Um, <laughs> um, so how does one, because I asked uh, the curators yeah. of Homegrown earlier any advice for um, creating a show, how did you create your show? Well, you, may, you may not even know. Uh, I had an idea of doing something along these lines quite a few years ago, um, but then I didn't quite know what to do with it. And so gradually over time it sort of, came into more into focus I suppose and then I did actually I've been on quite a few workshops with people in fact there is a workshop in the uh, Hovegrown Festival actually there with is. the most wonderful Robert Cohen yes um, about um, holding de- your own about devising your yes about devising your own um, piece I mean he's he's very clear about really anyone who is an actor should consider having their own thing mm. that they can wheel out and perform when they're not doing anything else Um, and so I think seeing his work uh, certainly inspired me to think well you know then maybe you know it's possible for me to do that and so I have had quite a lot of help from various um, workshops that I've been to and then I think what Guy was saying about you just say well I'm going to do that in Hove Grown which feels very friendly and nice and um, supportive where it will give me a deadline so I then have to do it um, and also I have shared with other people who are writing shows for Hove Grown um, little emails of here's my schedule can you remind me this is what I said I was going to do uh, so I'm writing this many scenes by this week and, and so forth this terrifying question uh, as we're, we're now in the month of Hove Grown yes. uh, we are about 20 cough days away from Hove Grown <laughs> so the terrifying question is are you ready? well it's four weeks tonight I shall, really? shall be performing the first show on this stage? Or else, or no, I'm, I'm the luxury of this much space. Yeah. <laughs> I'm, I'm at the welly, which is going to be very, very intimate. Intimate is the word we use. Isn't it? <laughs> uh, it's a lovely space. It's a great, it's it's a great space for one person. So. Yes, it's a good job that my, my uh, play is set in a spare room. Spare room. A spare room. Yes. <laughs> and uh, yes, so four weeks today. I'm I'm sort of on schedule. I'm starting to panic a bit that I don't probably. I keep changing things, but I'm. Heartened. You should have a word of the writer. <laughs> I know. I'm heartened by the fact that I understand from all my readings that Victoria Wood used to change things right up until the last minute. So I think, well, if that's what she used to do, I'm in good company. But hopefully that won't throw me too much when um, I'll have to tell myself off at some point by changing a line. So uh, mm. obviously it's a uh, four weeks tonight on the night of the recording, uh, but possibly not on oh. the night of transmission or when anybody's listening to this. So uh, let's hear the dates. Uh, let's uh, hear the dates. It's actually Good Friday and Easter Saturday. So fantastic. it's the 30th of March and the 31st of March, as I said, at the... At the, the sweet venues out the Welly, the Duke of Wellington. So the beginning of uh, uh, Easter weekend. Yep. At what time? Eight o'clock. Eight o'clock. So tickets are available from the Sweet Venues website and also Hove Grown's own website. Um, and so now I can open the floor. Um, Julia, um, goodbye and also welcome back to the stage. <laughs> 
and Patrick, because you, you, Julie, you're in two shows. I know. I don't know what I was thinking. <laughs> so, uh, um, tell, tell me uh, about this second show. Oh, you want? Well, I think. Well, I think Patrick should say something. It's, I, I'm in an improv trio with Patrick and another, a third person. Yes. So we are the three Hars. The three Hars. Now that sounds to me, as somebody who's been around Brighton for far too long, uh, like a version of the previous He Hars. Is that a lie? Or? It is indeed. Yes, yes. We were the He Hars at one point for a very long time, and uh, we've had a break, and now we've come back as the three Hars, which is Joe Weatherall, uh, myself, and Julia. Excellent. And um, improv shows come in many shapes and mm. forms. Uh, what form is this? Uh, it's based on the world of work. We've all spent uh, far too many years uh, in the world of work, which is in a lot of double figures. You should have a word with uh, Guy Wah. He runs a website uh, and a podcast about how to find paid work um, outside and in the world of acting. So this, this has inspired um, your improv show. Yes, yes. We decided we were going to make it about the world of work, which is why it's called Don't Give Up the Day Job. Excellent. Uh, and it's exploring the world of work from the point of view of improv scenes suggested by the audience, but also backed up by the fact that we've got too many years of experience in the world of work yeah, yeah. in different sections. I, I, I love the fact that you're saying the term world of work as if you get a $5 prize each time you repeat <laughs> the phrase. So in the world of work, well, what, what, um, well, we, we are running towards the end of our night, but I... I, I can't resist um do you have like a like this will be a 30 second or 40 second story but do you have any terrifying or depressing stories about your experiences of the world of work oh yes <laughs> <laughs> uh, i once worked with um uh, a guy who for for a very big office block ran the the, the maintenance and behaved like stalin <laughs> <laughs> he decided that he was going to sit his desk in the basement which was about 30 meters wide room and he, when you go, went down to request something from him, he would sit behind the desk 30 metres back from the door against the back wall so that you had to clump your way towards him <laughs> yes. to ask for paper clips or something like that. You had to clump your way past the paper clips? Yeah. Yes, the filing, the filing <laughs> cabinet was full of station. That does sound like a really depressing haiku. Um, <laughs> so, uh, Don't Give Up the Day Job is the imp- new improv show from the Three Halves. What dates do we have for that? It was Monday the 26th and Tuesday the 27th of March at the Mayday Studio. Fantastic. What time is that? 7.30. Fantastic. So that is um, I Am Not Victoria Wood and Don't Give Up the Day Job from Patrick Bland and Julia Knight. Welcome to the stage, Roz Scott. Hello, Roz, how are you? I'm very well, thank you. Uh, welcome to the stage. What stage will you be performing on for Hope Grown? Uh, Mayday Studio, Mayday new Studio. venue. Yeah, it is a new venue. Uh, it started off as a yoga studio and it's branching out and just trying to increase its footprint, really. Yes, and for people who may not know, it's uh, almost literally in the shadow of the I360. It, uh, it's between the I360 and Churchill Square on Regency Square near the fish, fish restaurant. Excellent. Um, and so what show are you bringing to Hope Grown this year? It's a show called Maria. Um, it's, people say the first thing you write is autobiographical. The plot is not autobiographical, but the, the play is about depression, um, which I know something of. And it's not just about the impact on the... Maria, who's the central protagonist, but also on um, her family uh, and how they how they work it through. Um, 
people, you know, behind, it's almost as if she's behind a glass door and people can't reach her. And she feels that, she feels even more than it's probably true that people can reach her, that she's out of reach in her grief. So, but it does have a, a happy ending. The, the term glass door is, is an interesting term uh, in terms of that you perhaps can see the solution, you can see the end, but don't necessarily know how to get to that place. I think you're longing for the end. I mean, you know, people talk about the black dog, the black cloud, that's just always over, over hanging over you, finding fault. Um, you know, you'll get one negative statement in a day and you will globalise that and go to bed and that's all you remember about what happened that day. That's what depression is. Um, and, and working through it. People work through it all the time. I mean, postnatal depression is very common. Um, you know, when people get through it, they come out the other side. And I think sometimes you don't know how that you, you come out. But the interesting thing about the family is that they see her courage and she doesn't see it. Now, you've spoken that you, you've, given, you've alluded to the fact that it's got a happy ending, uh, but we, we should acknowledge that perhaps a, a work about depression may um, give audience members pause. Uh, you've talked about like, courage. What are, they, what are the audience coming to see this hour for? What, what, what are we hoping that they can get out of that experience? Well, it's an insider's view. Um, I, I met someone last month. I've been really grateful to the actors, both the cast and the people at Sussex Playwrights, for feedback on previous versions of the of the play, and I want the cast to own it. You know, it's a collaborative effort. It's not just me. Um, so there's a strong narrate, narrator, and I'm hoping to make it into a radio play. And the narrator basically talks about how Maria's feeling inside, because the thing about depression is people can't see it. You look absolutely fine. Yeah. But you're not. Um, and and she does. I mean. Yeah, it, it's it's battling battling to see the sunshine and to see to see the world in technicolor when when it's just shade, you know shades of grey. We should give a, a shout out to Sussex Playwrights because they meet uh, about great. once a month yeah. on a Sunday at the New Venture Theatre and right. it's literally what you were just talking about. Uh, people can bring works in progress, workshop them, hear them, uh, get feedback, and bring them out. How have you found that? I've, I find it fantastic. I, I went along for the first time in December and then I met people who do radio readings and I'm now directing a radio reading broadcast. And then I met Tristan Wolf, who's written Offside that we were talking about. Um, and um, he's actually in my play. Excellent. Uh, as well as writing his own that Guy was talking about earlier, the, the football one about homosexuality. Everyone seems to be doing more than one thing. It's, it's, it's terrifying yes. and exciting. <laughs> <laughs> I think creative people, they, yeah, your brain doesn't stop. <laughs> And uh, is this, because uh, I'm not sure that I've asked you this, is this your, your, your first full hour or not? No, no, it's only, it's, it's between 20 minutes and half an hour. The, the script is longer um, than it was when I first wrote it to give the actors more to do um, and to give them more of a platform. Um, and it's, um, I'm, I'm actually working on a second, a second play now, which is about immigration and race riots. And there's more drama in it. Uh, and again, it's about a family. It's got a family at its core. Excellent. And so what are the dates for uh, the show, Maria? Uh, Maria, one night only, I'm afraid. <laughs> Easter Saturday, it's 5pm and it's, um, it's half an hour. It's £3 because it's a short play and I don't want costs to prohibit people no. um, and disabled people can go free. Excellent. And so as it being uh, one show only at 5pm on Easter Saturday, um, that, that's it? That's the only chance? So. That's it. Well, my friend, uh, I've got a marketing person who's helping me and she's going to video it and I'll put it on my website, which is com, where you can find all my journalistic work and 
some editorial pieces and things that will go there. Excellent. So we're very excited to see that and indeed many shows at the Ho Grown Festival. Uh, best of luck with that and uh, we you. hope to see much more work from you. Thank you. Thank you. Welcome back to the stage, Sarah Johnson and Guy Watt. It, it's coming. It, it's soon. It, it's going to be in about, you know, 22 days time. Yep. How are you feeling? Good. Yeah, happy. Most of the admin's done now. So yeah. I'm, yeah. I'm now now there's just the putting it yeah. on. Yes. <laughs> and um, we are, uh, we say that the, uh, the jukebox, uh, the sweet venue's jukebox, and that is, um, depending on how big the stage is, whether it's a 40-seater, you yep. know, which, and the uh, suite at Welly, it's a 20-seater. 20 to 25, 25. Yep. So, um, and then we, we talk about the... Uh, the studio for uh, Maydays and the Riato Theatre. Often the Riato is 90, mm-hmm. and uh, the Mayday studio is a movable feast. Let's really. say round about 50, and that covers all yeah. sins. Um, and so um, they're, they're not, you know, they're, they're proper fringe venues, they're not, mm-hmm. not the huge venues, so it, it sounds like I'm protesting too much, but you want to buy, if you, if the show that you want to see, you, you want to book that in advance, because yeah. particularly for the Welly, uh, I imagine, that's going to fill out quite comfortably. Yeah, for a smaller space, you would want to book your ticket rather quickly. But it, it is also, if you can book your ticket in advance, it really helps the, the performers know, you know, kind of the size of the audience that they're going to be facing, which is both exciting and terrifying, but is also reassuring that someone's going to come and see my show. Um, it, it's, you know, I'm as guilty as the next person of turning up at the last minute, you know, and I'm trying to get... We're glad to have you here tonight. <laughs> yeah, well, you know, I, I thought... Oh, well, I really should, yeah. really. Um, but, you know, I'm trying to get better at booking in advance because it really does help uh, the performers and the venue know how to, how to set up the room and, and just what to prepare for. So if you can, please do. It's awesome. And we spoke earlier uh, about the uh, website uh, for Hove Growing itself, which we uh, listeners may not be aware of, but they can find all the information and booking details in one convenient, lovely place. Um, I know it's kind of implied in the title, but uh, Guy, can you just remind us what, how they'd find that website? What's the name yeah, of the website? Yeah, sure. It's hovegrown.org.uk. Hovegrown.org.uk. Yeah. I do have to say one last thing, which is that the, the uh, third person that is part of this team that puts Hovegrown together is actually J.D. Henshaw, who is the artistic director of Sweet Venues and without whom uh, we would never have been able to leap off the ledge. Uh, so his unseen uh, but certainly not unexperienced support is massively appreciated. And uh, that's pretty much all the information we have uh, for that. Um, so it's the 23rd of March, so the 1st of April, 2018 Hove Grown Free uh, thank you for speaking to us uh, thank you to all our guests our multiple guests uh, uh, we had Julia Patrick um, and Roz uh, talking about their shows and we spoke to the creators of Hove Grown Free Guy Wah and Sarah Johnson thank you to you all thank you this has been the cast I Presented by Andrew Allen and edited by Michelle Donner. Music is Chapstick by Everett Armand. Find us on Twitter, cast underscore iron acts, on Facebook, ironclad cast iron, or one word. Our website is castironbrighton.weebly.com. Subscribe to us and rate us on SoundCloud and iTunes. Thanks for listening.